0: everyone. Hope you've had a great week. Thanks for tuning into our podcast and hope it encourages you, inspires you as you go about your week. Here's today's message. This here, you're going to see a photo. This was one of my most fun trips to the Philippines and um, for any football people among us, you know that's the famous Dale Waitman, Um, commonly known as the Flea he was. And then in the the background, in the grey T-shirt, is actually another famous football player. That's Jimmy Jess. He's commonly known as the Ghost. (laughs) So the Flea and the Ghost and a handful of other guys we took over there. And this is one day when we went into... And you've heard me talk many times about Smoky Mountain. We're right in the midst of Smoky Mountain. Um, In the place, anyone who's been there, I just think this is the most ironically named place on earth... That place there is called Happy Land. That's what they call it, Happy Land. Anyway, so there's the flea, and you can see there, like he's pouring sauce on hot dogs. They've got rice and little little hot dogs that have been they've come through the line there, past the ghost, and now the flea's putting sauce on. Um, and it's you know like it's it's typical that we often see. And if you've been there with this, or you've been on some other sort of trip. You know, that, um, like, these are kids who do not know where their next meal is coming from, literally. But then look at us. I mean, I'm taking the photo, but Dale's dressed in his great Richmond apparel, and um, he, he and the ghost and their mates, they slept in their five-star hotel last night, and I wasn't in a five-star hotel, but, like, I'm going back to, to live in the guest house of Kids International Ministries, and there's this, there's this huge divide between rich or haves and the have-nots. Have you heard of this thing? There's a, it's actually, this is a well-known thing. It's called the cargo cult phenomenon. Who's heard of the cargo cult phenomenon? Phenomenon. Yeah, phenomenon. Um, especially It's especially... Um, prevalent in, in Melanesia and Micronesia and in places like especially, like we, we, we know, uh, you know, lo- work, a lot of work in Papua New Guinea, just above Australia and West Papua, the Irian Jaya, very prominent in those places. Um, and, and what it is, it's the idea among these people that the rich of the world and their technology and the things that they can do, that that can actually deliver them. From the spirits. And so you get things like this. I know it's a poor quality photo, but you can see that's a that's a humanly made aircraft trying to model the missionary aircraft. And so often this has been a real big problem for Christian missionaries in these places because when we're from the West and we're Christians and we come in and when it's a really remote place, how do we get in there? We come in on a helicopter or on a plane and so in the, in the Dani tribe in, in West Papua, you know, the only word they have for the aeroplane, they call it a wooroo because that's the noise it makes. That's the helicopter, woo-roo-roo, woo-roo, woo-roo, wooroo, And so they call it a wooroo. And, but you see, us Western Christian rich Missionaries come to be identified with that with the people, and so then it can easily remove the focus on the God of the good news and on wanting to get the white man's riches. Understand? Now, not that I know this guy or love all of his ideologies, and some of you might even just despise him, but he takes my breath away nevertheless. Paul Keating, Prime Minister. Of Australia from 1991 to 1996. Um, Now, whether you agree with him and what he said or not, um, and I know you know he's a polarising figure. Not everyone likes this guy. But even even if you can't stand him, did you ever listen to this man speak, especially in Parliament? This man's off the charts. Like in terms of his brilliant mind and his extraordinary intellect and his powerful oratory, the way he could speak. Do you know what? He left school at the age of 14. Now, I wonder, you know, with those little examples, did you grow up a bit like I did? And you see for me and it's it's not even a criticism of my family and it was not a spoken thing in my family but the clear way in which i grew up is that weak is bad we don't want weakness we do whatever we have to do to overcome weakness and get strength so weak is bad strong is good Whatever the weakness or the strength, like if it's if it is that you're poor and you're not rich, if it is that you are stupid and you're not smart, if it is that you are uneducated, you're not educated. And so on. Like, yeah, it wasn't said in my family, but I tell you what, it was in the DNA of my family, no weakness. <laughs> And if there possibly is a weakness, we do not admit it. And I'll tell you what, we never, ever give in to it. We solve problems. We're strong. Now, did you come here this morning and you don't feel real strong? Actually feel weak. You got, like, like, are you rich? You got cash? How many degrees have you got after your name? Have you got, like, have you got humor so you can make everyone laugh? You got social prowess, you can work the room, you're the life of the party. You got cool clothes. The first century church at Corinth, because we're taking a look at First Corinthians, aren't we? Here it is. See, there's Corinth down there. Um, Paul wrote to the church, and in this letter that we're looking at, by the time Paul writes the letter, and he's now on his third missionary journey, remember? He, he started the church in Corinth, on his second missionary journey. Now he's on his third missionary journey. And so right now when he's writing the letter, he's over here in Ephesus. And it's about three or four years later. He's writing the church. And remember what we said? Like it was a goodish sort of church, but had a few problems that were starting to surface. And if those problems didn't get looked into and checked off, remember, from little things, big things grow any one of these problems let alone all of them together like they had the potential and and the ability to wreck this good church and if they didn't wreck it just to undermine it just to just to water down any influence it really could have to take it from being a like a goodies church to a not so good church and we all know don't we can't tell me again you told me every week we've done it so far. What makes a good church, friends? What is it? What's like? And we've been a little sarcastic. What makes a good church? What are we all looking for in a good church? Preach, good, good worship and great preaching. And you know what? Another like it depends on who you are, but you might also add into that list. Like I, I just want, I want a minimum of like fuss. I want a minimum of carry on. What the facts? oh I got no, no carry on you know so no look, get rid of those smoke machines and the loud music and the rah 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 and then all those other issues you know the things that we just spoke about the rich and the poor the smart and the stupid the influential and the off the radar those things they were right there in the city of Corinth where this little church is remember And the ancient culture of this Roman colony, it's it's heavily weighted, even more so than ours is, to the haves and the have-nots. And also, that culture prizes learning and wisdom. The Greeks prize learning and wisdom and philosophy and then public orators, people who could teach it and explain it. And those teachers, remember, they get assessed and they get critiqued by people, not nearly so much on the content of what they say, but much more on their rhetorical and their oratory skill, you know? And so, like, is, is, and it's going to be a man in this culture. Is the man powerful in the way he speaks? Can he engage his audience? Does he use the classical rhetorical skills? This is a pretty highly exacting society, the Society of Corinth. Years ago, I was a youth pastor, we took all our kids in a bus one Saturday night to the Youth Alive rally um, and it was pumping, like there were thousands of young people there and there were lights and there was music, there was carry on, (laughs) like it was full on. And the speaker that night, it's a long time ago, um, famous, famous, well-known household name in Christian community in Australia. And you should have heard this guy speak. Man, he was good. He was funny, 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 like just hilarious. I can still remember some of the things he said. (laughs) I I remember him. I'm not making fun of him. I remember him, he had like a handkerchief in his pocket and pulling it out. And then he took off the song that we used to sing, Joy is the flag flown high from. Who knows that song? And he took it off in a really sarcastic way. And there was the flag. Flag flown high. Like it was, I thought it was funny when he did it. You guys don't. Wow. I thought it was hilarious. Anyway, really good message. He had the whole audience and it was thousands mesmerized. Is that the Rod Laver arena? And then right at the end, he called for a response and he asked people to come forward to give their lives to Jesus and hundreds and hundreds of kids came forward including a handful from our group and so on the bus on the way home I I got around to each one of those kids who I knew had responded and I checked in with them and do you know what I found out? Friends, not one of them could tell me what they responded to not one so the next week I called the, the guy, um, Bruce, Bruce Hills, Ange, Ange Smith works for Bruce now. Um, Bruce Hills back then was the Victorian director of, of Youth Alive and, and, and I, like, I, like I know Bruce, I called him, I explained my dilemma to him politely and trust me, like he was appropriately sympathetic to my call and in a very diplomatic way He said that what he and his executive were already doing to address this huge problem, and I was not the first one to call him and tell him. You see, public speaking and communication ability in Corinth, um, you know, and here at Youth Alive, public speaking, communication ability off the charts. Content of substance, maybe slightly above zero. Hey, look at this with me this morning, because Paul, um, he, he's going to wade right into this little aspect of the Corinthian culture. So th- th- there's things in us for him, because it sounds remarkably like the Melbourne culture to me. Um, status, fame, notoriety, education, wisdom. And, you know, like we love TED Talks, you know, and we, a, a, and we tune into Ben Shapiro and Greta Thunberg and Jordan Peterson and Grace Tame and, and James Packer and Princess Diana. You know, those figures in our world that captivate us. And so here, this morning, Paul is going to wade right into that. And what he puts it out there, friends, is that the message of the cross is foolish by human standards. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 18 to 25. All this wisdom this wisdom that you see around you, all this success, all this elite, this performance, this brilliance, do you know what? It's actually, listen in, it's actually the opposite to the message of the cross. And that includes in church, in the Corinthian church, what they, where, where, where they were looking and where we often are looking Not always, but if we're one of the ones that say, I want great preaching. Often we're looking there too. And when I say, it's important, I've got to save up and prepare for my retirement. I've got to save up and get my kids through school. I've I've got to get a promotion. I've got to get a bigger house. You know, look, when we're doing all of that, the the, the stuff that says that it's influential in our society, when we go looking for that, oftentimes, friends, it is not just a little different. It is the opposite of the cross. And I know you may not want to hear that this morning, but it is. Look at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I know very well, he says, how foolish the message of the cross sounds to those who are on the road to destruction. But, we who are being saved recognize this message as the very power of God. Corinth, remember, it's a Roman colony. So there are many Roman citizens living there in Corinth. And among those citizens, there are Jews and there are Gentiles or Greeks. And the Greeks distinguish between themselves and non-Greek speakers. So now though, what Paul's saying is that in Jesus, whoever you are, Whatever you were, wherever you came from, there's only actually two groups. Those who are on the road to destruction and those who are being saved. No one else. As the scriptures say, he writes, and now we quote from Isaiah chapter 29, verse 14 in the Old Testament, He says, I will destroy human wisdom. This is God that's saying this. I will destroy human wisdom and I will discard their most brilliant ideas. Whoa. So then Paul says, where does this leave the philosophers? That's the Greek word sophos. And it means like a wise man. Where does it leave the scholars? That's the Greek word grammatous. Um, most likely here, Paul's talking about people who are really learned experts in the law of Moses, the Old Testament law. Where does it leave them? And the world's brilliant debaters. This is suzetaites. You know what? You know what it means. These are the people who are the disputers. <laughs> do you think? Do you think we've got any disputers around today? People who, people who just like to dispute. Do you think that whatever idea you come up with today, there will be someone to dispute it? No. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, these disputers, all, these, all the, these philosophers, these scholars, these brilliant debaters, friends, listen in. They're captivating. They're attractive, they're inspirational, they're knowledgeable, they're impressive, they're skilled, but God has made all this look foolish and has shown their wisdom to be useless nonsense. Is he for real? Look at this. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world, and he means by that at the time the Roman Empire as it was. And just like it means us now in the world, that that the world would never find him through human wisdom. He has used our foolish preaching to save all who believe. God's way seems foolish to the Jews because they want a sign from heaven to prove it is true. And it's foolish to the Greeks because they believe only what agrees with with their own wisdom. Give me a sign, prove it to me, the Jews say. You know someone who says that too, don't you? Prove it to me, then I'll believe it. Or you also know someone who says, I'm already wise, I've got big wisdom, and unless something fits into my frame of wisdom, I won't believe it. It has to fit with what I already know. Now look here now, my friends, because it's a foolish message. And foolish here even means, it it even means like madness. This is the talk of a madman. That's how foolish it is. Come and we'll find out why. This is so off the way, so out of sorts, so upside down. You know, saying... Saying the words, Christ crucified, that's actually a bit like saying, well, we'll fried ice. We'll fry some ice. Or it's like saying, I'll go to a birthday party. Oh, I'll look at this one first. Look, we always get each other gifts, the brother says, but my brother really killed it this year. <laughs> eh? Hey? Like what sort of sense does that make? He's not going to a birthday party Can you imagine if you go to some big name birthday party, and there in the party is Donald Trump, former US president, and then Kim Jong un, dictator president of North Korea. And they're both at the party together and they're smiling and laughing and they're doing photos together and hugging each. Can you imagine that? That's how foolish this message is. That's what Paul's saying. So when we preach that Christ was crucified. Then the Jews who are looking for a sign, they get offended. And then the Gentiles say, it's all nonsense because it doesn't fit into their wisdom. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the mighty power of God and the wonderful wisdom of God. In other words, rather than giving them the signs and the wonders and the wisdom that they demand, and God's got plenty of those in store that he could give if he wanted to, They get, what do they get? Weakness and folly. You can have the Messiah. That's what Christ means. And you've heard the term Messiah, the Jewish term, looking, waiting for the Messiah. You can have the Messiah or you can have a crucifixion on a criminal's cross. But there's no way on earth you can have both. That would be like frying ice. Messiah for the Jews, friends, you know what it meant? It meant power and splendor and triumph and victory. Just like the glory that, you know, that we strive after because we want victory. We want to make a bit more money. We want to step up a little bit. We want to we get better. And that's the weakness that we, that we regret and the strength that we're really proud of crucifixion though that's the you know so the Messiah stands for that for the Jews crucifixion though in Roman times you know what it wasn't just death it wasn't just punishment it was the ultimate penalty it was reserved mainly for rebellious subjects of various kinds including you know insurrectionists and if it was today it would be terrorists and it is the most humiliating way in which to punish a criminal It actually says in the Old Testament that anyone who is hung on a tree is under God's curse. So Jesus, the Messiah, dies the most humiliating death he could die as a state criminal. That's a foolish message. No one believes that. No wonder that this Christ crucified message, you know what the Greek word is that he uses to describe it? A scandalon. It's a scandal. It's an offence. And if you think Christ crucified sounds a little bit out there to you here this morning in 2022 in Melbourne, put it a few times over, friends, to how foolish it sounded back then. The message is foolish. You know, the Greek word for that is moria. We get moronic. We get moron from that. You know, if you're a moron, that's how foolish this stupid message is. Or, you know, like this is a LOL, lots of laughs. Lots and lots of laughs. There's, there's no way. Friends, there is no way god could be rescuing the human race through weakness are you telling me that it's through weakness that he's going to rescue the human race just like there's no way Jeff Shepherd has wanted for the longest time in his life to embrace weakness as god's gift rather than to fight it and shun it and accuse it and oppose it as a curse just like there's no way that I've, I've wanted to turn away from the bright lights and the big city and the ladder climbing success and the name. You see, if, if you want to turn away from those things, that's a scandal. But this message, friends, the good news of Jesus, coming to earth, willingly dying on a cross for your sin and for mine, that's the mighty power of God. And that is the wonderful wisdom of god this foolish moronic plan of god in verse 25 is far wiser than the wisest of human plans and god's weakness is far stronger than the greatest of human strength did you get that this foolish moronic plan of god is far wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is far stronger than the greatest of human strength. That's the ultimate contradiction. And if God had consulted us for wisdom, if he had to come to Jeff Shepherd and said, listen, tell me how you do this, the last thing I would ever have thought of is sending the Messiah of the world to come and live in weakness and through weakness to rescue and to save the whole world. It's the last thing I would have thought of. And that leaves me with an awful risk, friends. Then I'm either going to trust God and be saved by his folly and his weakness, or I'm going to keep up my pretensions and perish. And he's just got a couple of little illustrations of foolishness now. Look at this in verse 26. Because if, if you're doubting this, you know, Paul's like, if you're doubting that this is all true, well, remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were actually wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. And, you know, by and large, that, that, that's not actually true for every church. Some churches, and there's nothing wrong with this because God, God's not saying he doesn't love people who are rich or influential or wise. He, he, he never said that there, did he? He didn't, um, but so there's nothing wrong. But I reckon too, not many of the Corinthians were, you know, powerful, wealthy, wise. Probably not many of us here at Mill Park Baptist Church are either. I mean, look, look around, see what you reckon. Do you, do you see lots of powerful, wealthy, wise, influential people sitting around you? Don't tell them what you think, but like. Number of the times, you know, over the years, I've had people tell me, like, don't if if you're one of them, don't worry. I don't take any offence to this, but <laughs> I've had people, you know, like, in for years as a pastor, just tell me how awesome some other speaker is. Jeff is so good. <laughs> like, but we haven't we haven't got anything too spectacular here, have we? See, that's a powerful illustration. The Corinthians know that most of them are poor and insignificant and lowly. And they know that, but, but, but as like, we're, we're more like the Corinthians here. We're, we're more just like, like this is a bunch of garden variety citizens, aren't we? We're ordinary. And like I, like I for one, i tell you now, you know, like I'm weak and frail and I'm fragile. And I'm more aware of that now than I have ever been in my life. And my earlier conviction that I was bulletproof, it's, I, I don't want to confidently say it's gone forever. It's certainly gone at the moment. Um, but you know, what, you know what I'm like? Friends, if not for weakness and drastic weakness in my life, you would not like who you see on stage today. You wouldn't. Without weakness... This man is proud and arrogant and self-reliant, and there is no weakness. And there's no weak, there's no problem that he can't solve. That's what I'm like by nature. <laughs> you wouldn't like it. Look at this. Instead, verse twenty-seven. Instead, God deliberately chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And He chose those who are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and he used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. Hmm. What's the ultimate purpose then of this foolishness? That's the last bit that he talks about here in chapter one. In verse 29, he says, so he's just talked talked about weakness and foolishness and how God chose them. And then he says here, so that now that's what we call in Greek, that's what we call the purpose clause. In other words, it, it, like, and it's more powerful in Greek language than English because what it means is that all that's come before that, this is the reason for that. The means of the cross, says the divine scandal, the evidence of God's choice of the nobodies, all of that, friends, it's so that no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Ever. Ever. No one. With Jesus, no one gets to boast. And the more, listen to this carefully, the more you know how weak and temporary and frail and fragile and broken and non-bulletproof that you are, however you get to know it, be it physically, mentally, financially, socially, relationally, spiritually, however you get to come to that conclusion, the less inclined you'll be towards boasting. That's when you'll start to realise that it's a precious gift. So that no one, no one can ever, ever boast in the presence of God. If I get saved and Jesus forgives my sin and gives me eternal life, you know what, it has got, zero to do with anything that I did to achieve it or earn it or work for it, let alone to deserve it. And trust me, the more stable I am, the more I am saving my money and saving up and the more I am getting promoted in my career and the more my mental health is blossoming and the more my physical health is trouble-free and the more my popularity is astounding and my influence is increasing the more likely by the second that I will be thinking that I deserve this good news of Jesus. That I'm not that bad. And that I'm not as bad as you. But with Jesus, no one gets to boast. Look at this so that no one can ever boast in the presence of God, God alone made it possible for you to be in Christ Jesus. Jeff Shepherd, it's got nothing to do with you. God alone made it possible for you to be in Christ Jesus. And read into that, if God didn't make it possible, you wouldn't be in Christ Jesus. You never could be for our benefit God made Christ to be wisdom itself he is the one who made us acceptable to God he made us pure and holy and he gave himself to purchase our freedom as the scriptures say the person who wishes to boast should boast only of what the Lord has done and Paul's quoting there from the Old Testament. Look at this. Here's the quote from Jeremiah chapter nine. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man gloat in his wisdom or the mighty man in his might or the rich man in his riches. Let them boast in this alone that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord who is just and righteous, whose love is unfailing and that I delight in these things. I, the Lord, have spoken. Sounds like songs we sing, doesn't it? Remember this song, um, I will not boast in anything. No gifts. No power. No wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ. His death and resurrection. With Jesus no one gets to boast. You see, it wasn't just Corinthian culture, it was it was Corinthian church culture, friends. Um, and it will effortlessly, believe me, it will effortlessly be any church culture today, including Mill Park Baptist Church, including us here. If you're visiting with us this morning, if you're watching online with us this morning, um, including your church. It'll happen effortlessly. You don't have to try and make this happen. Um, We'll get carried away with those exact same things. but we don't want that do we we don't, we don't want that because like we've said looking through this 1 Corinthians book like we all like we want a good church don't we And we've affirmed that that's not vain and it's not selfish and it's not not worldly to want a good church because if a good church is a church that's taking the good news of Jesus and with the power of the Holy Spirit bringing that good news of Jesus to its community and its city and its state, its country and its world if that's what a good church is sign me up for it. of course you want to be part of a good church hey a couple of little suggestions take these with you into your week hey what about this learn to embrace weakness my friends now this this is really careful embrace is a really important word there because it is not saying learn to tolerate your weakness it's not saying learn to just put up with your weakness learn to endure learn to survive that's not what that's saying it's saying learn to embrace your weakness (laughs) and I'm I'm serious Um, that's a bit like saying fried ice isn't it that's a bit like Kim Jong-un and Donald Trump standing there best of mates hugging each other you see that's what Jesus did that's what Paul did too look at these words Um, Paul wrote this in his next letter to the Corinthians 2nd Corinthians but to keep me from getting proud to keep me from becoming conceited it says to keep me from um, getting puffed up I was given a thorn in my flesh a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from getting proud we don't know what Paul's thorn was There's all sorts of conjecture about it. But the thing is, what I do know this, friends, is a thorn hurts. And if it's a messenger from Satan, it's nasty. But it's to keep me from getting proud. Three different times he says, I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time he said, and here's the quote of what God said to him, my gracious favor, Paul, is all you need. My power works best in your weakness. You know, to me, that's a bit like God saying, Paul, I'm sorry, the answer is no. I'm not taking it away. Because Paul, while you've got that weakness, that's when my power works best in you. If I take that weakness away, My power won't be working in you. So Paul says, now I'm glad, and he means what he says here, I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may work through me. Since I know it's all for Christ's good, I'm I'm quite content with my weaknesses and with insults and hardships, persecutions and calamities. Why? Because when I am weak, that's when I'm strong see the weaker I am the more I need Jesus and therefore the more Jesus gets seen and noticed and given credit do you see with Jesus no one gets to boast and the other little suggestion is this if we cultivate confession because confession leads to thankfulness when we're confessing to God the, the, the myriad of ways that we're thinking and being motivated and talking and acting and that, are, that aren't right, as we're confessing those to God, it's also making us thankful because we realize not boasting anything except for Jesus and His, His grace and His wisdom and His mercy in rescuing me. So keep looking, Jeff, keep looking for the evidence of where you get right off track with Jesus. And especially, Jeff, when you're proud and you, and you want to be self-sufficient and self-reliant and self-righteous. And, when, and Jeff, when you start feeling entitled too, when you start thinking that you're entitled to God's love and His favor and His prosperity and His goodness... It's all a gift, Jeff. Look at this. God saved you by his special favor when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. For we're God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Friends, I know... um, Like I was standing this morning knowing, like I need him for every breath that I breathe. Um, And when he is not only in me, but he's living through me, that's when I do do good things. And he does do beautiful work in me and around me and on me and through me. And remember too, oftentimes, not, not always, thankfully, but oftentimes, more often than not, He does His deepest work in my suffering and my pain, through my thorn in the flesh. Friends, with Jesus, no one gets to boast. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we, we, need, we need your help here this morning to, to grasp this. I do. I've got, a, I've got a clear command of what I've just said to the people of Mill Park Baptist Church. I've got a, I've got a clear intellectual knowledge of it. I've studied it. I understand the words. I understand the principle. I get it. But Jesus, just give me a few moments left to myself, and I'll start to forget it. I'll become proud. I'll become conceited. And I'll feel entitled. and I, I figure that I've got a, a fair few fellow travellers here with me this morning too. So Holy Spirit, would you please, I, I, I humbly ask you now, would you please just do a special work in this time to brand this message into our hearts? And to help us to grasp what it means to, to say that this message of the cross that has changed many of our lives is a moronic, mad, insane message by the script and the, the culture of the world we live in. But it's the it's the mighty power of God. And it's the mighty wisdom of God. Oh, thank you, Jesus.